third and final installment on our series that we started just prior to Independence Day that we entitled, In God We Trust, with the question mark. Because we have been talking about as to whether or not we're really trusting in God in all of our ways. We're acknowledging Him as we walk and whether or not we truly are tied into Him with a true Christian worldview. And if you've not been able to listen to uh, all of the messages and lessons, I encourage you, you can go to our website and go to the media link and you can go to iTunes. Uh, my, my tech person has been out of the country for about a week, so I know those will be, those will be posting here soon. But you can uh, get it that way here in a couple of days, or you can pick up the CDs and, uh, and also go to the blog, by the way. I blogged some resources recently, so if you're interested in this area, you may want to read that, and uh, it'll get you all up to date. I, I have been attempting to renew your mind with the Word of God, uh, along the way sprinkling in a little history, so we can have a better understanding of how our nation was founded, how we were created. We need to begin to recapture a Christian worldview and begin to understand that God expects us to live our faith, what I call comprehensively. That means there are no rooms that he is not Lord of. He is not a part of your life. Jesus is your life. He's not an addendum to who you are. He is now everything you are. And so these things we were visiting about and we're going to end being much more hopefully uh, encouraging, optimistic, and positive than I was last week. I was a little surly, I will admit to you, last Sunday. I had a little burr in my saddle and I just needed to get it off my chest. But gratefully, it's a new week. Amen. And we will endeavor, yeah, I know some of you went out and go, wow, pastor was lit, I tell you what. All right, well, we're going to give you some solutions. It's important to be a solution and not just a part of the problem. And uh, I really didn't tie all this together like this with uh, Mark being with us today, but uh, it fits real well. I want, to, I want to teach this morning on what I've entitled Reclaiming the Culture. It's the last of this three-part series, Reclaiming the Culture, I want to read a couple passages to you. Let's begin with the Great Commission passage in Matthew 28. And I really want you to listen to what Jesus says here. Because most of you perhaps have it memorized. You know it generally. We just listened to a great missions presentation that had the Great Commission as a part of it. It is all in order. But I want you to listen to this carefully as Jesus ends this particular account with his words in Matthew 28, verse 18. Listen, it says, Jesus came and spoke to them saying, now listen carefully, all authority. What does all mean? All means without exception. No area put off to the side. All authority has been given to me where? In heaven and on earth. All authority on heaven, not just spiritual authority, but all authority in heaven and on earth. Now listen to what he says now. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, verse 20, teaching them. Who is them? The nations. 
teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Amazing. All things again. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Now that's pretty remarkable, isn't it? He says to us as a part of the Great Commission that we were to disciple nations. Are you going tilt yet? I know what some of you are saying. You're saying, I got a teenager at home. I can't disciple them. I've got, I've got young children. It's hard to disciple them. I mean, and Jesus says to disciple nations. Is that not remarkable? You're to teach nations all things that he has commanded. Do you hear me right now? Nicaragua, Honduras, Costa Rica, Russia, China, India, Great Britain, and yes, the United States of America has to be taught all things. That's what the Bible says. Now, I get it. They don't want it. But they're to be taught all things. Now, turn over to the book of Colossians and here are more mind-bending verses. Colossians chapter 1. And I'm going to read quickly, beginning with verse 13. We're going to do this quickly this morning. He has delivered us, meaning Jesus, from the power of darkness, transferred us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him, meaning Jesus, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on where? Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, principality or power, all things were created through Him, and this is my favorite part, and for Him. Everything in this earth was created for Him. There is nothing that is out of bounds. There is nothing that is off limits. There is nothing that somehow or another has to remain neutral because there's no such thing as neutral. And He is before all things, and in Him all things consist. Which means, if Jesus isn't in it, it won't last long. If Jesus isn't in your life, you're not going to make it very long. If Jesus isn't in your marriage, you're not going to make it very long. If Jesus isn't in your business, you're not going to make it very long. If Jesus isn't in our schools, you're not going to make it very long. If Jesus isn't in every aspect of society, it can't be maintained. Because the Word says, in Him all things consist. You say, that's just spiritual. Uh-uh. It says whether on earth or in heaven. See, that's why if you really read the Bible, it'll just mess you up. He's the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He may have the preeminence. For please the Father that in Him all the fullness should dwell and by him to reconcile all things to himself. Whether things on earth or things in heaven. Having made peace through the blood of his cross. Here's the good news. This earth, this world may be under a curse. But I'm here to tell you that the cross can redeem everything in this world. Satan is indeed the little g, God of this world, but the Bible says the earth is the Lord's and all that it contains. 
And the cross came not just to redeem your life so that you could have abundant living, but He came in order to put this world back in order. Now, just bear with me. We're going to deal with this quickly, and I'm just going to believe that the Holy Ghost is going to help you assimilate this really, really fast. Some belief system, some ideology makes up the foundation of every society. Every culture, every civilization has a foundational ideology that undergirds it. There is no nation, no civilization, no society that is neutral. You can look at any nation, past or present, and by looking at its values, its educational goals, tax policies, judicial philosophies, you can begin to identify the fruit of its belief system as a society. It wouldn't take long if you were to come to any nation and look at its media, watch the TV, read the papers, listen to their music, and after a while you would be able to sum up from listening and viewing all of these expressions, you could begin to determine what it is as a nation that they believe in and what are its values. Jesus said you could know a man by its fruit. Is that not true? You can know him by his fruit. I believe you can know a nation by its fruit. All you have to do is look at Russia. Begin to look at its values. Look at its culture. You can begin to see what the underlying philosophy is. Look at Saudi Arabia. Look at the Sudan. Look at India. Look at Afghanistan. Look at Nicaragua. You can look at any nation of the world and see the landscape of their country and whatever it is they have, it reflects the belief system or it reflects the ideology of that particular nation. As I've already mentioned in our previous lessons, there was a day America was clearly a Christian nation. That is beyond debate. It is confirmed by more quotes and more speeches and more documents than we have time to present. Even a visiting guy from France by the name of Alexis de Tocqueville could see just by the fruit of America that Christianity was its undergirding foundation. Unfortunately, times, they are changing. And the critical question we face as Christian Americans is not, does civilization have a spiritual dimension? The question we are facing is, what spirit will be in charge? Because I will assure you there's no such thing as neutral. Some ideology, some worldview, some spirit will prevail over a nation. All I know is, is looking at the fruit, I can identify which one works. Everywhere that Christianity goes, there are benefits and there are blessings. We saw in the presentation that was before us today of feeding centers, training centers, medical assistance. Everywhere Christianity goes, literacy rates go up. Women are set free. Schools, hospitals, orphanages, water wells, farm equipment, technology, anywhere Christianity goes, these things take place. I simply ask you the question, what has humanism done? I see no hospitals that the humanist movement has built. I see no orphanages that humanists have pulled together. I've yet to see a famous hospital that says, Atheist Hospital. What has Islam done? Do the clerics raise money to lift people up 
or blow people up. Somebody needs to say these things. What has Hinduism done? It lets its people starve while cattle march through the streets. I don't know about you, but I have no great desire to go live in Calcutta or Bangladesh. I like it here in Charleston at, at numbers of levels. Now, I'm not suggesting that everyone who says they are a Christian is perfect. Nor do I think as a movement we have always acted right. But you give things a thousand years and you can begin to tell its fruit. That's because Jesus Christ and his precepts are the solution. Not just one of many. They are the solution. The solution to problems and challenges. That's why he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus never said, I'm one of many options. He didn't say, I'm one of many doors. He didn't say, I'm one of many gates. He said, I'm the door, I'm the gate. I'm the way, I'm the truth. Now, before we can implement what it's going to take to recover our Christian heritage, I think it's important that we reminded of how we did Deteriorated. So I want to take just a moment and talk about how a culture disintegrates. I mentioned last time we were together that nations are a lot like individuals. And a nation spirals just like an individual spirals when it begins to reject the ways of God. America has been on a decline for some time. And it would be very easy to make the case beginning in the 1960s to our current time that we've been spiraling. Have you ever noticed that when something spirals, it speeds up the closer it gets to the bottom? I don't know if you've ever been to the mall. They have a little charitable giving thing that you can roll your quarter around. And you roll your quarter and it goes around this big thing and it goes around and around. And it's kind of slow. But as it gets down to the bottom of the funnel, and anytime something spirals, it may start spiraling rather slow, but by the time it gets to the bottom, it accelerates. And I'm just here to say, in my viewpoint, I think things are accelerating. Many books have been written on the rise and fall of nations. And I'm just going to go through this list quick, guys, so be ready in the back. But there was a guy by the name of Jim Nelson who wrote a book, When Nations Die, and he identified ten factors. I'm going to go through this quickly. These are the ten factors that begin to manifest when nations begin to decline. Number one, increased lawlessness. Number two, loss of economic discipline. Oh, do I have to comment on this? Number three, rising bureaucracies. Number four, a decline in education. I'm amazed to this day that we graduate kids that still can't read. Number five, the weakening of cultural foundations. What that means is, is that the foundations in the earth, such as marriages, are, are divorcing at, at amazing rates, or redefining marriage, or redefining family. Those culturally foundational concepts are, are becoming shaky. Number six, the loss of respect for traditions. What, what do you mean by that? I mean, go through, go through just at a baseball. We're going to go to a baseball game next Sunday. Watch how many people remove their hat during the national anthem. Watch how many people put their hand over their heart. Just watch. Number seven, increase in materialism. Number seven, the rise and acceptance of immorality. Nowadays, you can do just about anything immoral in biblical definition, and you're okay. 
Folks, it's not okay. You cannot grieve God in these ways and come out okay. It's not even thought weird anymore. In fact, there were things years ago that were considered psychologically weird that now are accepted and endorsed and legislated for. Number nine, the decay of religious beliefs. And number ten, the devaluing of human life, euthanasia and abortion. All of these are indicators that there's a nation in decline. And it takes no sociologist to see that we're spiraling here in America. We're not immune, people. We're not exempt from these dynamics. We've been listening lately. Trace has been interested in particular of some prophecies that have gone forth from people like John Kilpatrick and others who have been prophesying great challenges that are soon coming to America. Now, while I tell you these things, it is not to solicit your fear because the Bible says that, that he has never seen the righteous begging for bread. That, that we have as believers and if our hearts towards God an ability to go through difficult times in the earth with his protection. I believe that. But I have a growing concern over what I'm beginning to see. And I have a concern that we have to begin to do something in a positive way to begin to reverse the spiraling trends. I have a concern over the hostility of our current government that is demonstrated towards Christianity. I'm amazed at how I've just listened to things. You can't get a jet flyover anymore at a God and country rally. But you'll give an Islamist his own prayer room at an airport. These things, don't think I'm weird. I'm just calling it like it is. Our celebrity fascination in worship. The blood of the martyrs of the Sudan and other places in China and other places go unknown and unheard of. But we will venerate entertainers and worship them like idols. I know, I know. You're saying, how can you? Because I've just decided I'm swimming upstream. I figure if I'm going to get beat, I might as well get beat doing the right thing. Well, you say, well, pastor, what do we do? What do we do? Can anything be done? Has it gone too far? I'm just one person. These things are, are massive. Well, there's good news. I'm going to tell, I told you that I was going to give you some good news. As Christians, first off, listen, we've been snowed by the devil. And it's time we just woke up and got the naive slapped out of us. The separation of church and state is not in the Constitution. The founding fathers even dealt with that word. Most people don't know this. They, they wrestled with using that very phrase in the Constitution and they rejected it. The only place you will see the phrase separation of church and state is in a letter written by Thomas Jefferson in 1801 to a group of Danbury Baptists assuring them that the government didn't want to stick its nose in their business. The second place you will find the phrase separation of church and state is in the Russian Constitution. Because it's not in the American one. In fact, the whole purpose, as you will read, the original documents of the First Amendment was not to keep God out of government. It was not to keep God out of the public square. It was to keep the state from establishing an ecclesiocracy by declaring one church to be the only church. 
Its whole intent was that the government didn't need to have its nose in our business. And it wasn't to keep God out of the public square. That's why it doesn't work, because nothing's neutral. So we're always consternating, can we have a nativity scene? Can we have a Bible? Can we have this or can we have that? You know what my view is? My view is, is kind of like the, the Elijah view. Why don't you let the false prophets do their thing and, and let the real prophets do their thing? Just let, let the Muslim clerics do their thing and then let the spirit-filled, hot-after-God, passionate pastors do their thing and let's just let the God who answers by fire do his thing. God was never meant to be left out of our, of our culture. Our framers, they understood these things. But this has caused us, because we hear this relentless pounding, separation of church and state, separation of church and state, separation of church and state, that suddenly we really believe there is this wall that separates God out of certain areas of our life. And what we've done is we've said to ourselves, well, there's a wall there. That's a lie. And I love our Constitution. I believe that these men were inspired even when they wrote the Constitution. But the American Constitution is not my highest priority. God's Constitution is my highest priority. And while I love America and will do my best to serve it, and I will come under authority, in as much as that authority doesn't require me to violate my conscience before God. We might as well, you might as well buckle up because it's coming. We can ignore it. We can put our head in the sand. We can say it won't happen. I'm telling you, we're spiraling. And so we, we've developed these, these thought patterns that say to us that somehow the claims of Christ can't be pressed into the culture. Just be quiet. You Christians, be quiet. Don't show us these vestiges of Christianity We'll just peel these away. You know why they want all these vestiges, nativity scenes, Bibles, all these other things? It's because they, they feel if they can pull them out of their sight, they won't be convicted anymore by them. Sure, the Holy Ghost uses those things. But our strategies, in my opinion, in recent years, I'm talking about the church, no matter how well intended we may have been, have done nothing to stop the spiral. I'm just being honest with you. We put Republicans in office and we still spiral. We put Democrats in office and we still spiral. Now that can either discourage you or that can awaken you that there's got to be a new strategy. Can we just admit for just a moment that it doesn't matter if they have an R or a D behind their name that we need the big G to show up? I want to suggest some things that I believe to be biblically in order to do our part to reclaim the culture. Because just because we put a Republican in office doesn't make the landfill smell better. Or just because we vote in a Democrat doesn't mean it works more effectively or God's way. So as I said, I'm a, I'm a politically equal opportunity offender. I'm going to give you quick things here. Seven things that I think we can do, strategies that I think we can, we can finally get to. Number one, we've got to get a personal vision for, our, for our, our culture, a personal vision for our region, a personal vision for our, our, our city, our state, and our nation. Everything starts with vision. Vision produces passion, commitment, 
strategy, focus. We as born-again believers are going to have to get a vision again for our culture. Now, I'm not saying do what we've always done. I'm just saying first we've got to get a vision for it. See, our founders had a vision for this nation. And because they had a vision, they began to work out, and it wasn't always easy, pretty, or otherwise without, without struggles, but they had a vision for this nation, and they gave us something that I believe was in the mind and the heart of God. I believe that. I don't believe they were perfect people. I don't believe these, all these guys were absolutely perfect in all their intentions. I don't believe that. But I do believe that God worked in all of that imperfection to bring about something that had never existed before. But we got to get a vision again because I will assure you the gay and lesbian community has a vision for this nation. Oh, I'll assure you they have a vision for this nation. I'll assure you that secularists and humanists have a vision for this nation. It is time for the church to expand its vision of the cross beyond the individual and into our institutions and into our culture. That's the Great Commission. It's not my idea. Jesus said we were to disciple nations. The Word says that all things were to be redeemed back to Him through the blood of the cross. The government isn't going to change because we re-vote. The government is going to change because the cross gets in it somehow, some way. That's the only way it will change. You, you see, we think we transform things by changing out sinners. Are you following me? See, that's what we do. We change one carnal heart for another carnal heart. And we think we're changing something. And we've been hoodooed. So we've got to get a vision, number one, that culture can be changed, but it's got to be changed the right way. Number two, while we think nationally, we've got to act locally. Here is the place that I've begun to change my own strategy. I no longer believe that you can change things culturally from the top down. I don't believe it anymore. You can, you can think it works. I don't think it works anymore. I believe to change our culture and save our civilization, it's going to start from the bottom up. I looked at the parable of the seed. Jesus said the kingdom of God was like a seed that when it was planted in the ground and when it was tended to, it began to grow. And he says there was a day that eventually it became a mighty oak tree and everything nested in it. I don't believe you go find an oak tree and replant it. I believe we're going to start with seeds and tend to it. It's important to vote. I want you to know again, I believe in citizenship and voting and these things are important. We should vote for our president and our senators and our local constituencies. I believe all these things should be voted for. But there is little difference right now between the two parties. Now I'm going to get to this again because I know there are some people that have so sold their soul to an R or a D that they won't hear what I'm going to say. I believe we can change cities and regions, states and nations, but it isn't going to be through R and D. It's going to be through G. I was on a conference call last Thursday with pastors from a pastor from every state of the union. I don't think all of them showed up. There were about 44 pastors, one from every state of the union. We were on a conference call and we were praying and, and just basically networking with regards to things that God is doing and wanting to do. And we were basically talking about how there, there, it's a moment that shepherds have got to stand and get bold again. And begin to speak to the people again about the real bottom line scriptural foundational issues. And I was listening to the guy who was in New York and he was talking about how pastors there are praying and that right now 
They're debating over same-sex marriage in the New York state legislators. And they've been praying about this. And they've literally shut the, legislate, the, the, the whole Congress there down. Be, be, because they're just, they're, they're just consternated. And, 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 and there's a debate going on. And they can't go any further until they get through this. And, and he was telling us, he says, it's very much on the tipping point. One way or another for New York. And he was asking us to pray. And so we prayed all over the nation. And this is the type of mobilization that's going to happen. You understand that right now we're on this teetering point. And we've got to begin to pray and seek God and pound heaven's door and begin to get God in the middle of what all is going on at this very moment. And I just want to suggest to you, I was listening to all these good men on the phone, and you can pass this on to some of your Christian friends as well, but this is a suggestion. Quit Quit criticizing shepherds and pastors. Come on, we got to have some voices that'll start looking at us and start rallying the troops and saying something's going to have to change spiritually in our nation if we're going to hand this off to our kids in a proper form and fashion. Come on, we're fussing about little things that pastors do and our society is going spiraling down the tubes. So we've got to start thinking about what battle are we going to fight here? Hopefully we've got the right one in our crosshairs. Number three, renew your mind through training and education. I posted on the blog a starting place to get yourself renewed. I can't use this subject forever. I can only take about three weeks and there are other things that I have to input you with. But I gave a bibliography on the blog site that if you take that seriously and you begin to study these things, it'll begin to change the way you think and you will become passionate about the mandate we have to be salt and light in the culture. And so I encourage you to go look at that. 80% of America says they believe in God. 60% say they're born again. I'm trying to figure out what that means. 60% of the people say they're born again, then why in the world are we spiraling? Do you know why? It's because our minds are not renewed. We've all been given a new heart, but we need brain surgery. We all say we love the Lord, but loving the Lord is not all that it's about. 1 John chapter 2 and 3 say clearly, if you say you love God, but do not do what He commands, the truth is not in you and you lie. And so, and so we've got to get back to it. People say, well, I love the Lord. Well, I'm not questioning you love the Lord. I'm just questioning, is your mind renewed? We need the body of Christ renewed in their thinking because if we don't get renewed, folks, there is no way we'll be able to make a dent in reaching people. Number four, we've got to develop a generational strategy. Now, I, 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 this is what I believe. I believe that Jesus could come at any moment, certainly. But let me just say this, that they've been saying Jesus could come at any moment for 2,000 years. Paul said that he believed Jesus was coming soon. How many of you know that's 2,000 years ago? That's, that, that's a fur piece back. Now that is not in any way to belittle or my love for his appearing. I want Jesus to come. Even so, come Lord Jesus. But we've got to get a hold of the verse that he said to us when he said, Occupy until I come. There's some things that we have got to invest ourselves in. In Psalm 145, verse 4, it says, One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. We cannot leave the next generation simply at the mercy of public education, Hollywood, cable news, 
the television set, and college professors, all of which mostly have untransformed minds. I'm not saying there aren't good people, Christian people, that are working even as missionaries in these areas. It is not in any way to demean what they are trying to do in these very areas. I'm just simply saying as parents and as Christians, we cannot get out of this hunt. Lincoln said that the philosophy of the classroom in one generation will be the philosophy of government in the next generation. If Jesus chooses not to return, we can no longer continue just to pass the mess on, to begin to pass the, the spiritual debt on to our children and our children's children. I read an article this week, if you guys uh, access the American Vision website, which I put on the blog, and, and, and there's, there's an article that's entitled, uh, I think it's called the, the First Adam or something to that effect, but it, it was about a bumper sticker this guy saw, it was kind of a funny article, that said, come to my church, church is fun. Church is fun. And, and it was interesting because he begins to talk about how in America today we have turned church into our entertainment moment on Sunday. If it's not fun, I don't want to be there. I've heard parents through the years concerning their young people tell me they couldn't come to youth group because... Well, they say it's not fun. Why? Well, how fun is their school? I'm sure you keep them home four or five days a week because that ain't fun either. I don't know. The last time I went to my job, I'm not sure I had a great big blast doing that either. So school's not fun. Job's not fun. But we still go. Why do we go? Because it is needful for us to be there. But we better make church fun or we won't come. Now, let me just say to you, I enjoy it when church is fun. I like to have fun too. But fun is not our highest priority. Discipling nations is our highest priority. Rewiring a generation is our highest priority. Setting people free is our highest priority. You yank a few demons out of people, that ain't fun. The church isn't meant to be a spiritual theme park. The goal isn't to keep them entertained. The goal is to keep you trained. We're not here to entertain you so you keep coming, so you'll buy your tickets for our sideshow. We are here to get an investment so the kingdom of God will be successful in the earth. I am training you for battle if you haven't figured that out yet. Because let me tell you something, you can... You can be entertained and the enemy will take you out. Oh, you'll have fun as you're going down the tube. Woo! It's just like the slide at Myrtle Waves. But if you're wanting success and you're wanting abundance and you're wanting prosperity and you're wanting areas of your life to reflect His Lordship and you're wanting life to work and life to be in order and things to find their place and for you to be a testimony and to leave a legacy to your children and your grandchildren, then I'm telling you it is time to rise up and get trained for the battle. We are in a battle. Fun, fun is great when it happens. Come to River Dogs, we'll have fun. But when we come here, it is here we are being trained. And we've got to develop this. You've got to develop this for your kids. When they look at you and say, I don't want to go to church. Look at them and say, you're training a warrior here. 
There are days I don't want to come to church. But it's, but it's not about what I want. It's about what I need. It's, it's, it's not about what, what we do in order to make them feel good about themselves. It's about getting something in them that they won't be a statistic. Now you understand, I love you and I love your kids and God loves them most of all. But it's not, a, God, didn't, God didn't send His Son so we could have fun. He sent His Son so we could win. Number five, I got to hurry, sorry. Choose righteous representation. I'm, this is just me personally. I, I, last election, I decided that I was going to vote for a third-party candidate. This is just me. I had people tell me, they said, well, Pastor, you're just throwing your vote away. You're giving the election to the other guy. You know, sometimes you just have to vote for the lesser of... I, I hate calling anybody evil, but you know the phrase. But you know what I decided? I decided no more. I decided that I'm no longer buying into that thought pattern. Because you see, the thought pattern for most Americans, including Christian Americans, is this. R and D. That's our thought pattern. And we've developed into this sort of psychological gobbledygook that if you don't... If you don't if you don't vote for the lesser of two, you're going to get something worse. How about let's just do what's right? Let's just do what's right. I didn't waste my vote for the first time in my life. I walked out of a voting booth and I felt good. And my guy was blown away. But I did what was right. Proverbs 29 verse 2. Listen to this. It says, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when a wicked man rules, the people groan. Now, you notice it didn't say when the Republicans are in authority, the people rejoice. It didn't say when the Democrats are in authority, the people rejoice. It didn't say that, does it? It says when the righteous are in authority, that's when the people rejoice. I am cleansing my mind. I am renewing my mind from all this nonsense that we have bought into as Americans. We have been snowed. We have been fooled into believing that somehow or another, if we will push a certain button, our agenda will be tended to. Folks, there are just as many abortions. There's just as many cultural challenges. There's just as much spiraling going on today as there was back in 1980 when the moral majority showed up. I'm just saying it like it is. We need to begin to break out of this box and begin to believe God for righteous representation. I've heard people say, well, that's just not possible. Well, that's just not your Bible because God says He can do the impossible. The problem is we've got to start believing that as Christians. One more time. Not capitulating to what we feel like is just the way it is, but it is time to press the claims of Christ into everything. I am personally frustrated. I, I don't think anybody represents me anymore. Now, I'm not expecting perfection, but I want our politicians to live what they believe. I don't think it's too much to ask. I think a little anti-hypocrisy movement would be good. Number six, we've got to model this personally. Model a consistent worldview personally. We are lost as a culture if I don't personally start living what the Word says. That's what we call personal responsibility. Listen, I can't force the world to do anything. In fact, really, I'm, I'm here. I can't. I know morality gets legislated every day, and it's usually not mine. But I understand that really, they can legislate all the immorality they want, but that doesn't mean I'm going to embrace immorality. Nor 
perhaps our legislating morality would cause anybody of an immoral heart to embrace that. I'm just not sure you can even legislate the heart. But can I just say this? People who are unregenerate will always find ways to sin. So don't be blown away if sinners sin. But listen to what I'm saying here. God's ways, I don't believe, are enforced. They have to be embraced. And saying that, what I mean is, if, if, if it's just simply enforced, it will become another form of tyranny. So we've got to become more attractive, obviously, and more representative of what it is that God can do in a human being's life. If the people who say they love God don't start living according to His Word, this nation doesn't stand a chance. People need to see God's ways working in your life, working in your marriage, working in your family, working in your business, working in everything you do. You've got to get the Lord in your life and be the Lord of all. I believe we can change more people by fruit than by vote. Now you heard me say we're still citizens, but we've got to get, we've got to get this in our system. And it's going to take number seven, personal sacrifice and investment. Some people somewhere are going to have to make the investment of their time, their prayer, their money, their involvement, their passion, their sacrifice. Someone's just got to begin to say, Lord, it's too great a matter for me, but I can start where I am and begin to demonstrate the solution and not be one more illustration of the problem. I like it when church is fun. But the question of which spirit will rule our culture involves spiritual battle. It will involve maturity. It will involve faithfulness. It will involve re-education. It will involve renewing of the mind. It will, it will mean transformation. And sometimes, folks, that's just work. Not always fun. There are a few laughs and, and we'll enjoy each other along the way, but there's some work to be done. And, and, and the question we're facing, I believe, as believers in the era we live in is this. Do you want to have fun or do you want to win? Because we've reached the place where we're going to have to do this work. Football season is quickly approaching and I enjoy the fall because I enjoy, like many of you, just watching football on television. And I know right now in our two major college campuses... All the two-a-days are happening and high schools are probably entering into their two-a-day system. And everybody's gearing up for the football season. I, this, is, this is what's amazing to me, that football is a game. At the high school level, you may have 10 to 12 games. At the college, at the college level, you may have maybe, maybe 13, 14 games. You get the pro level, you could have 16 up to 20 games if you make it into the playoffs. It's really not many games when you think about it. And yet there's this two-a-day system that everybody does, sometimes three-a-days, in the hot summertime of Charleston or in the south. And, and they're all beginning to work and they're practicing and they're, they're hitting and they're sweating and they're throwing up. And, and I remember they, they you know, two-a-day practice meant you were chewing ice and you were getting sick on the sideline and you were sweating and you were having to change out your clothes. And I'm just, it's amazing what we'll do to get a piece of pigskin 100 yards down the field. It's amazing how long we'll do it. It's amazing the investment and the energy that people put into that in order to do that well. And it's interesting that you can go and have a philosophy of fun on the football field, but that doesn't mean you're going to win. 
I know I hear coaches at times and I appreciate it. I, I, I want to say things in context. I've had coaches say, kids, we're just going to have fun this year. What that means is get ready to lose. That's a coach's code phrase for get ready to lose. Because we're going to have fun this year. Now, that isn't always it, I understand. But you know what I'm saying. Winning takes work. Winning takes determination. Winning takes focus. Winning takes passion. And your success as a team and the outcome of the season is not based on the fun you had together. It's based on the commitment and the work that you linked up together to do. And the truth is, hear me now, Jesus and His ways always win. There is no doubt that His ways win. But the truth is, we got to get on the team. we got to press through the pain. We gotta go the extra mile. We gotta turn the other cheek. We gotta give our cloak also. We gotta keep our hand to the plow. We have to let the dead bury the dead. We have to count the cost, carry the cross, wipe the dust off our feet, keep the oil in our lamps, forgive 70 times 7, to pray, to fast, to give, to bear fruit, to proclaim that the kingdom of God is at hand. Are you beginning to get the picture as to what this is gonna take? That's Jesus. And there is a generation, Daniel said in 11, verse 32, who will do great exploits for their God. But it's when we begin to get serious with Him, we can reclaim the culture. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. I'm in this to win. See, that's why Paul said for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. What do you do with a guy who's, who's, who is waiting for the day he can die to be home with his Lord in heaven? What do you do with him? It's pretty frustrating. We should be the most frustrating people in the world. I just affirmed your frustrating nature right there. Not, not, not with each other. I'm talking about with the world. Instead of accommodating the world, we ought to frustrate the world. Instead of embracing, embracing the world, we ought to be a mystery to the world. They may make fun of us in public and in front of our face, but when they close the door and they're behind our back, they scratch their head and go, all I know is they're the real deal. That, that's how it's won, is you and me just doing what we're called to do. Stand with me, will you please? I want those musicians to run real quick. I appreciate your patience with us this morning. We had a lot of good things to do today. And we're going to take just a moment. We're going to sing this morning on our way out. We're going to sing one more time. And right where you're at right now, I'm going to pray as the musicians and and the singers are getting ready, suited up. But I'm going to pray right now that you'll open up your heart and you'll begin to take seriously what it's going to take to change a culture. Maybe before you can say, I want, I want to ch- help change a culture, ask yourself this question first. Are you transformed and changed yourself? Are you whole? Are you put together in order? Are biblical precepts being applied in your household, with your family, with your relationships, in your parenting? Come on, it's time to get the house of God in order. It's time to get our minds renewed. God isn't doing this to keep you 
keep you from some fun. You see, that's the enemy. The enemy comes to us and he, and he constantly whispers in our ear, you're not having any fun. You're not having any fun. And suddenly we buy into it that life is just about having fun. Come on, do you want to win? Because life will fall apart. I know people right now that spent years having fun and their life is a wreck. The Bible says sin is pleasurable for a season. So there's fun. I'm not denying hey, There's fun out there. But there comes a moment that the word also becomes true that it says the way of the transgressor is hard. And the fun evaporates. And you look at where you're at and you're saying, how, did, how in the world did I get here? You didn't even see it because you're just blinded by pleasure. Fun. God wants you to have joy. Not just fun. He wants you to have joy. He's just not wanting you to look forward to the next weekend. He wants you to have true peace in doing His will in the earth. Sometimes we never get all of God because we've never let go of all of ourselves. And I don't believe we can be a solution to our culture and our nation until we finally let Jesus be Lord of all. Not just Lord of a part or a piece, but Lord of everything. And when that moment comes, you become unstoppable because He's unstoppable. Holy Spirit, thank You for being here this morning. Thank You for challenging us again to the call to world mission. Thank You, Lord, for one more time rekindling the passion for us being salt and light in our community. Thank You, Lord, for giving us influence. Sometimes we think in insignificant ways. But yet through that influence, Lord, we're disseminating solutions and answers that can only come through Jesus and His ways and the cross. Lord, I declare, I decree out loud that this nation, this nation will come back to God. Lord, I decree right now that revival is just around the corner. I declare right now that, that as the darkness gets darker, the light is getting brighter. That where sin abounds, grace does more abound. Lord, I believe right now that the cross that the cross is transitioning from just the four walls of church houses and it's finding its place, Lord, in neighborhoods and it's finding its place in, in peninsulas and downtown and it's redeeming back the schools. It's redeeming back Hollywood. It's redeeming back, Lord, television and the media and the culture. It is redeeming back our literature and our newspapers and our books. It's redeeming back math and science and English. It's redeeming back all things. Let the blood flow into every area. Lord, I specifically pray right now, and this is what I'd like to ask you to do if you're standing here. Again, thanks. Be patient. This is so important. If you could, if you feel comfortable, if you don't, I'll believe it'll happen to you anyway. But I believe it would be in order if you could lift your hands just to the Lord. And, and just give him an open vessel for just a moment. Lord, I speak over this people right now. That you pour into them optimism. That you pour into them an unshakable confidence right now. That they are winners. Because greater is he that is in them than he that's in the world. That you've created these people as more than conquerors triumphant in all things that they may at times feel like they're down but they are not out 
that there may be a battle or two along the way that they feel like they've lost, but the war isn't over yet. That, Lord, the spirit of a prevailer would come inside of them right now. That they would not grow weary in well-doing, but that, Lord, they would be energized, passionate. That, Lord, new energy would come into them by your spirit. That, Lord, even in the most small and insignificant ways, that the seed of the kingdom would begin to grow. And that out of their life, a great oak tree, the kingdom, would begin to come forth. And that though the wind may blow, and though economies may recess or depress, that, Lord, even as things seem to spiral all the way down the tubes, that, Lord, that unshakable oak tree, Lord, the oak trees of our community that have withstood hurricanes for centuries, Lord, let this people be oak. No matter what blows our way, people could nest in it. They could count on it. They could see the kingdom and they could see God working powerfully in all of it. And Lord, we receive that today. I believe that stability is coming to your life. I, I, I break off of you the feelings of insecurity and instability right now. I break that off you in Jesus' name. You are stable. You are strong. You are an answer. You are a solution. You are the witness. You are the testimony. And God who is unshakable is alive in you right now. Hallelujah. Can you say glory to God? Come on now, put your hands together. We're going to sing. We're going to sing right now. Before we go, if you want to come back to the wells of the church, just slip on out and let's just get a group down here. And we're going to declare our God to be the champion. We're going to declare that we're on the winning side of these things. We're going to declare that though the righteous may have fallen six, yea, even seven times, they shall rise again. Come on, we're going to declare it together this morning. Come on, lead us as we sing. You are not a God created by human hands. You are not a God dependent on any mortal man.
to me now, real quick, real quick. But what we're doing today is changing a culture. And when you begin to sing, I want you to let the spirit side of you go for just a minute. Because as you sing, you can begin to feel the shifting. It's shifting to where no longer is there discouragement and worry and anxiety. And how in the world this is, this is so massive and so big. Folks, let me tell you, America is not bigger than God. God was here before America showed up and God will be here after America goes, God forbid. But, but a part of our tussle and wrestling is in the spirit where we begin to decree. I told you last week, 11 pastors, I believe, decreed things in Columbia, South Carolina that has literally begun to shake our state. If we could get the people of God in this state to begin to decree some things, we will shake this state and revival will begin here. But we've got to be convinced that what we're doing right now is not just, well, it's just kind of what you do at church. We are, as the church, applying the manifold wisdom of God, according to Ephesians 3 and 10, to powers and principalities. And I am declaring over Charleston and the dark powers that God reigns. Jesus reigns. He wins. He wins. On Sunday for time begins. Yes, you are on your throne. And you are God alone. And right now, in the good times and bad, say you, you are on your throne.
Hey, boss. Hey, Mark, Mark. It's the word of the Lord, Mark. You can take back to the nation of Nicaragua. The Lord would say, not only to you, but to those who work with you, relay it to the pastors and everyone that you see. Do not lose your passion for your nation. For you have seen with your eyes things that appear to be a setback. Yes, there are even new laws that have come to pass in that small country that trying to restrict what the gospel can do. But the Lord would say, I am reversing these things. And the very doors that some feel they are shutting will cause me to open new doors with new effect. Yes, I'm even shutting things off that you thought were resource. I'm shutting things off that you thought were the answer in order to open up a door for the miraculous, saith the Lord. For the nations are still my children's inheritance. Do not be satisfied for only a block or only, only a piece. But that nation is mine, saith the Lord. Tell them to renew their vision, renew their passion. Some, some have even begun to say, I don't think this will ever change. I tell you, saith the Lord, it can change and it shall change. As my men and my women and my church decree my greatness, saith the Lord, in their midst, I shall do it. For you shall hear with your ears, you shall see with your eyes, saith the Lord. I will pull in nations. I will reach and whole nations shall come to me. It shall happen, saith the Lord. It shall start small, but it shall enlarge. The days you are living in, declares the Lord, these are the days that you are settling once and for all in your heart where your passion shall be. Choose me, saith the Lord. Call unto me, saith the Lord, and I will show you great and mighty things which you've not known nor have you seen. I am doing this thing. Many have said it is falling apart. I tell you, saith the Lord, I am setting it up in order for my, my grand awakening. When people have exhausted all they can do, then they shall know it is me and they will be without excuse. So lift up your eyes, saith the Lord. Let my goodness and let my graciousness, let my love, let the yes of my spirit come into yours, saith God. And you will find yourself, even in challenging moments, with the spirit of a conqueror. My people, saith the Lord, were meant to conquer. My people I have designed, saith the Lord, to overcome. So it shall be as you receive it into your heart this day. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, we receive it. We receive it. Hallelujah. Lord, just establish it in this local body. Establish it in these individuals. Lord, we, we tarried today a little bit. We, we consider that unusual in our current era, Lord. We're not wanting to in any way invade people's time, but 
Lord, they had to tarry in upper rooms. They had to tarry and seek you for special outpourings. So, Lord, I tell you, I, I want to be faithful to people's time. But, Lord, I'm going to be faithful to what you're trying to accomplish most of all. Help us to be a people who are eager for that. And, Lord, we appreciate you. Something has shifted in the atmosphere. Something has changed over our lives and something has changed over our region. We believe it. We declare it to be so. An open heaven. The move of God. The beginning of the harvest. Lord, let it be so. Use our intercession. Use our confession. To move upon, to accomplish your great and awesome goals. You are unchangeable. You're unstoppable. Lord, you are God alone. And Lord, as we release here this morning, Lord, may it never, may it never be shook from us again. May we just be resolute. Lord, you, you, you are the winner. No matter what, it's a done deal. You win. We love you. We appreciate you. We honor you, sir, as we go our separate ways today. In Jesus' mighty name, can you say amen? Amen. Let's put our hands together. Praise God. Just keep playing, guys. You just keep playing a little bit here. Just keep playing. I want you to turn around and hug necks and shake hands and look at somebody around you and tell them you're a winner, man. I hang around a winner. God's in you. You win. Be encouraged. Be encouraged.